This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. In each episode, we bring you information, insights, ideas, and interviews from some of the industry's top thought leaders. Head to mediasalesmastery.com to help pick the topic and guide the show. This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. I'm your host, Jamie Wood. This fortnight's episode is all about exploring the hallmarks of a true solution seller in media sales. Now, solution sales is not a new term. It actually gained popularity in the 1980s and was used as something of a catch-all expression to really differentiate from two different sales methodologies or approaches. Firstly, you had the sales approach, which really focused on selling features and benefits of a pre-built product. Solution selling was more around a consultative salesperson who would first seek to understand an organization's problem and then craft and deliver a tailored solution. One thing I'll say, media sales as a broader industry does solution selling very well. By its very nature, media sales is solution selling as no client or brief is really ever the same. What has evolved in my opinion is companies are now starting to become quite savvy in terms of identifying what their problems are themselves. And with the rise of data and procurement teams, also identifying what solution providers they might actually seek to engage. This evolving dynamic means that the typical approach of solution selling may be more of an annoyance than a value creator to a lot of clients. I wanted to spend some time today digging into solution selling as a methodology and to really focus on what aspects maybe need to be adapted going forward. As a side note, HubSpot actually have a great blog and cover off the topic of solution selling extensively. Also, a previous episode of the podcast we did with Adam Lang titled Building Better Business Acumen covers elements of solution selling too, and it's almost the preamble to this episode, so both of those resources are well worth exploring in more depth. Our guest today, Mary Grothy, she is the CEO of House of Revenue. She's based out of Denver, Colorado, and uh, I've just recorded the episode. Really, really insightful conversation, really interesting to hear best practice solution selling across a number of industries, a number of organization types, a number of different sales structures, and I think it's all instantly applicable to the media sales discipline. So check that out. I'm not going to do too many of these plugs, but as another plug, um, and I have mentioned it before, I recently did a webinar for a radio television group based out of Colombo, Sri Lanka. Really enjoyed it. It was all around helping them better sell their digital media as a traditional publisher. Um, I'm doing another one in a couple of weeks with a group out of South Africa. And to anyone in the listening audience, particularly if you're a, a manager of a sales team or if you are just somebody who's looking to maybe get a little bit better in terms of digital sales and it all feels a bit overwhelming or maybe a bit uh, a bit challenging to you or you've had some bad experience, please do reach out. Um, I've built some good content against this. It's all very simple. Be very delighted to share some of the insights with you and, and hopefully see if it can add some value. Uh, without any further plugs, we will get into this week's episode of Redefining Solution Sales. The first five. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, it was quite interesting coordinating calendars here. It's uh, it's 5.30 in the morning here in Brisbane, Australia, and I think it's mid-afternoon there. In, are you in Denver, Colorado today? It is 12.30 in Denver and partly cloudy, about <laughs> 60 degrees. 
Wow. Okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's actually raining quite heavily here in Brisbane, so um, the studio soundproof. But if there's any sort of any sort of thunder or anything that makes its way through, I apologise to everybody. Uh, Mary, I think one of the key callouts we have here is that you are the CEO of a company called House of Revenue, and not necessarily a specific media sales organization as such however you do have expertise uh, from what i've heard in you of you in previous interviews and previous podcasts have a lot of expertise in the discipline of sales and particularly helping organizations with some of those challenges of structuring sales teams and driving revenue and scaling can you give us a bit of a uh, an overview of house of revenue how it all came about and your particular journey I'd love to. My background is in B2B sales. I sold for a payroll and HR company. I started at a very young age. After two years as a sales admin, they promoted me into sales, for which I'm very thankful for. On the mid-market team, I became the number one rep in my first month of selling, believe it or not, and maintained that title for my first entire uh, track record there in the sales career for five years. I left to become a VP of sales and marketing for one of my clients. They were small, they were about 125000 in annual revenue. I took an equity position and barely any pay, and I helped them quadruple the size of the company within seven months. So an amazing opportunity. I fell in love with scaling companies. I don't think I called it that back then, but I loved the work. I started my first consulting firm called Butterfly Creative, helped 36 startups and entrepreneurs scale. I became exhausted because scaling startups is far different than scaling second stage growth companies. So after three years, I was exhausted. I met my now husband, decided to go back for that payroll and HR company for three years. We got married, bought a house, had a baby. I made a lot of money. And then I started my second company, which is leading us to where we are now. Three and a half years ago, I started the firm. We called it Sales BQ when we started, BQ being the behavioral quotient. I had this mission in my heart to help small businesses with building their sales orgs. I knew what it took to become the number one rep, to be a high-performing salesperson, and I wanted to bring that knowledge and expertise to CEOs and founders that had reached, oh gosh, under 5 million, but but at least 1 million to start. And they were looking at building out the sales team for the first time, weren't sure how to do it. What I noticed about a year and a half in running SalesBQ was that great companies who scale rapidly don't do it with a sole reliance upon the sales team. They actually invest in their marketing, in their tech stack, in automation, and customer success. So we doubled down. We grew in size. We then started to serve our clients in all facets of revenue scaling with a focus on marketing, sales, customer success, and revenue operations. We rebranded as House of Revenue. And in 2020, we had nine full-service clients. And on average, we doubled their MRR within 10 months, resulting in, on average for each client, about $3.2 million in growth in less than a year. In a pandemic year, the last thing I'll say is the way that we do that is we attach ourselves to those companies. We go to work for them, a VP of marketing, VP of revenue, who oversees sales and customer success, our RevOps analyst, as well as our marketing team. We go to work for that company as a full-service team. We build a revenue engine inside that company. And then we scale them, and then we transition out over about 12 to 18 months. So that's me. I, I've got a beautiful four-year-old son. His name is Beckham, and he's gorgeous. And I have the most gracious, kind, and loving husband named David. 
Well, it's, a, it's very admirable. I'm, an, I'm a new father myself, and the juggle uh, is very real of career, travel, family, and now fatherhood. Um, so I, I applaud you on, on being able to potentially strike a balance there, Mary. Um, <laughs> tell me, in terms of, of the model that House of Revenue has, it is just interesting hearing about that embeddedness because certainly in the Australian market, I think there has been a turning point with consulting business in general where being being uh, uh, that, that traditional approach of coming into a business and then maybe delivering a recommendation and then putting a plan forward, but it not necessarily being implementable or the, the organization that engages the services not currently, ha- not really having the bandwidth to then take that and tactically execute that. So it sounds to me like House of Revenue, you really do, for all intents and purposes, outsource certain roles and actually go into an organization and function in that role while scaling and then you transition out. Is that is that sort of how it works? Every client of ours is different. We may have a small company that doesn't have anyone in those roles. And then right now we have a $100 million company on the path to uh, scale substantially over half a million in revenue. And they already have a CRO and they have heads of marketing and sales. So it just depends on the client. But we will custom carve out our team and our responsibilities. And so depending on if they have the roles or not, if they do, we're allies, we're complementary, we get to do the work they don't have time to do, know how to do or want to do. And we just supercharge those revenue teams for our smaller clients that don't have a lot of those roles in place. Yes, we fill that role and it's our mission to bring that talent in-house for the client. We recruit, we train, we develop, we get them rolling. And then there's a transition point because we have built that engine inside of their company. And you're exactly right. The big shift that we want to bring forth is that we're not a consultancy and we're not an agency. We do work like consultants. We do execution work like agencies, but it's a very unique model because not only are we building the strategy, but we're responsible for the tactical execution to the point that it's working, profitable, setting the company on path to scale. And then it's a transition to where they can own the asset and we make sure that the right talent internally can take it over from us and and we never leave prematurely. We're always there to make sure it's very smooth. But you're right. That was an opportunity I saw on the market. Consultants say, here's your $50,000 playbook. Good luck. Yeah. Well, I think it's a really exciting model. And and I think what's particularly exciting today is we're going to be talking on the topic of solution selling. And you know, your experience is very broad. You said mid-market, working with new businesses, working with businesses in that 5 million range, scaling. In your experience, in your broad cross-section of experience, have you seen the role of solution selling evolve? And what role does it play in selling any product, but maybe specifically media um, for our audience, you know, now and into the future? When I started in sales in 2008, there was the start of the transition for the corporation I was selling for from the feature benefit advantage sale to true solution selling. And so from going uh, straight into pitch, I feel like initially you'd get the sales meeting, you'd really skip a lot of discovery, and you'd come right in and say, well, here's how we're different from the competition. Here's all the features, the benefits of those features, and the advantages for you, Mr. Prospect. So that feature benefit advantage was really phased out, moved more towards the demo part of the conversation after a session of discovery to truly identify and uncover the pain, the problems, the challenges. And that's where solution selling comes in is can you customize a solution based on the needs? Well, I think that the term solution selling 
has been widely adopted. I think there are multiple definitions for it, as there are with many things in the sales world. I believe that many organizations would simplify the definition of it to say it's custom crafting a solution based on the prospect needs. However, some organizations can highly curate a solution for a client. Others say they're doing solution selling, but what they're doing is rather than coming up with a custom solution to that problem, they're coming up with reasons why their preset product or service is a fit <laughs> based on their problems, Correct. the prospect's yeah. problems. So there's a little bit of a variance in there in corporations that can truly do solution selling. So when I was selling payroll and HR services, we were able to custom curate a solution, but still had a, a grab bag, right? Like you could pick from these 10 things, we'll custom create a solution of these 10 things, but you weren't really highly customizing the solution to that buyer's needs. In the world of media sales, there are a lot more opportunities to custom curate what the what the buy is and the offering. So I feel like solution selling is a little bit more uh, relevant in this, being able to custom curate. With that, how has it evolved? Well, I think a lot of corporations believe now that solution selling is the norm. And I feel like a lot of very famous methodologies have come to play saying, well, you just have to identify the prospects, problems, pain, challenges, and then you build the solution based on that. I do believe though, that as we, now that it's really becoming the norm, this is how the majority of salespeople, at least that we're seeing, are being raised and trained and groomed in the profession. The question is, where does it go from here? And my answer to that and what I'm seeing is actually coming through in marketing and sales alignment. And I'm seeing that corporations or organizations that can make the investment in building an inbound marketing engine that works in tandem with the sales effort, that's where we're going to see the next level of what solution selling is. And I think there's going to be a heavy reliance on the experience that's being created through the brand. So that could be through any attraction method, whether uh, it's paid media, social media, looking into uh, the website, content, any way that a lead is coming through, a broadcast strategy like this, podcasts, webinars, when you have, how is the person coming in and being attracted to the brand? There's an experience immediately. From there, they're going to start self-qualifying and diagnosing what their own problems are. So we saw this shift and there, there was a, a correlation between solution selling that you, the doctor asks the questions to the patients. What hurts? What's wrong? What have you tried? And then they give you the prescription. They tell you, hey, here's how you're going to solve that ailment or problem. But now, just like it evolved in the medical area, people found WebMD and really just Google, I have this symptom. What could it be? And so now patients are going into the doctor office more educated than they have ever been before. And so they've already started to identify what their own solution is and really what they want. And so what is the marketing team doing for your company to align with your sales effort to help the person that you want to sell services to or engage with start to come up with their own solution that the salespeople can then align on that, be in agreement with, and then be able to convert that. I think there's going to be a lot of media salespeople listening to what you say, breathing a sigh of relief hearing that too, because I think for many times it's it's there's a frustration of is it all up to the sales team or do we actually have other people in this organization who should be on the journey with us of nurturing, engaging, helping us generate leads, um, helping us in our, our efforts to generate demand into the business. And it's a great setup for the main topic because 
media organizations often sell highly customized campaigns. Typically, the needs of buyers might change by a whole raft of uh, factors, you know, industry, size, type of organization, certainly campaign objectives. Media Sales Mastery. Mary, is there a, a framework or maybe a list of milestones more broadly that you believe just makes up a, a strong foundational solution sales process? I'm going to use the term prospect because sometimes when I'm speaking about sales, I use the term buyer or prospect interchangeably, but I want to be careful <laughs> knowing who the audience is here. So I don't want to confuse that. So I'm going to use the term prospect or client, but in that they will tell you what they need. They will give you their buying criteria and their decision criteria. If you're willing to have the conversation, listen to them and walk down that path with them. And I feel like that's a big miss with salespeople. So of the foundation of solution selling, what is one of the core key critical components? I believe that if you develop your question set to draw the answers out that you're really looking for, you can get to the end goal faster. So sometimes salespeople have a list of questions that their organization says, hey, you've got to ask these questions, or their line of questioning really sounds more like what I need to fill out a proposal for you or to put together the uh, the strategy. So it sounds more tactical, and it's just a line of questioning. In true solution selling, if we can get to the core of what are we trying to accomplish, why is that important, what have you tried in the past, what worked, what didn't work, what did it cost you, what is the cost of doing nothing here, what is the impact of this campaign not working, what's on the table, what's on the line. We've got to continue to create this emotional component in those conversations because until robots are buying from robots, we have humans buying from humans. And there's an emotional component and element that if we're not tapping into, then we're missing out. So step number one that I would say in any solution framework, solution selling framework, is you've got to be able to mold your question set to get to the core of why we're proposing what we're about to propose. If it stays high level order taking tactical and we're, we're just creating an order form and what we're trying to produce in the campaign or sell, I think we're missing some of those components. So that would be the first step of it. And I would even add in there that you've got to understand because today's prospect is so much more educated. Just the example I gave minutes prior about them doing all the research and knowing. Plus, if you have a really educated prospect, they might be coming to you dictating what they want very clearly. I already know what I want. I already know what I need. You know, this is the list. What can you do for me? How is that different than so-and-so? And so you've got to be able to find a way to align with them where they are and then peel back that onion a little bit so you can get down to the core and really understand why we're doing what we're doing. It's a way that's going to help set apart, but then it's going to help in that curation of, of what is being put together in that highly customized offering. And it's it's an interesting discussion point we have around aligning with, say, the marketing team as part of your sales process. If we take a, a different approach and think about a salesperson who is there prospecting, so they're they're looking to target particular advertisers who they want to book a meeting with, you know, an uncovery or a discovery meeting with. Um, can you talk a little bit about the role of prospecting, how it might work in solution sales in the current environment and moving forward? Do you have a view that, and I suppose there's two lines of thought, do you have a view that a media salesperson should target advertisers who might you know, have a need or a challenge that they can easily meet within their organization? 
or you know does the right sales approach actually mean that you can really target any client potentially and an uncovery could lead to an opportunity for revenue. Does that make sense? It does. And both strategies are fine, but you have to take a look at what you're trying to achieve and by when. Because the quickest path to realizing revenue today is going to be to go to play to your strengths. And so if you're known for a certain tactic or campaign, or this is this is where we play extremely well, this is what we're known for, this is what we're great at, then it's really easy then to be the expert in that space, to have your value prop down, to understand how you differentiate, where you win, why people work with you. You can have beautiful case studies that are super niche and specific, which is great, by the way, for Google. So if you're looking at, again, that marketing play, if you're looking at being known and specific for something where you can just say, we stake our claim, this is where we excel, this is why people work for us. It's not to say that you can't do other things. But you say this is where we're the industry expert and this is what we're known for. That is a very quick way. You've heard the phrase, get niche, get rich. That is a very quick way for people to start to understand who you are as a brand. You create a brand identity around where you excel. You're going to have the best case studies, testimonials. You'll have the best referrals. There's a way to capitalize on that, but there is also another strategy. So when you have an opportunity to start dominating the market on one specific area, like our client in this space does extremely well in the world of OTT CTV. And they also do a lot of other <laughs> tactics in digital, but they do it through an omni-channel experience and it's not really what they lead to the market with. So they're known for what they're known for. Oh, and by the way, based on your needs, we can also do all these other components so you really have that um, omni-channel experience. So with that, there are ways to still be able to customize and put something together that's highly, highly customized. But to go to the market to be all things to all people is a very difficult strategy. And so I prefer of the two that you offered. Can either work? Yes. I believe the one where you get specific and you get niche is your quickest path to revenue. But if you want to really develop the all things to all people, even though you can find, you know, you can get it a little more specific than that. But if you want to be open and really showing like, look at all of our capabilities, then you have to have brand messaging that speaks to the differentiation versus what you're doing with those specific tactics. You need to have brand differentiators and value props in your messaging and sales conversations that highlight the value of being able to be multifaceted versus specific. If Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it, it just... It coincides with what you're you're speaking about with prospects and potential clients becoming increasingly more knowledgeable and diagnosing their own problems and needs. Um, I find it an interesting point of discussion just to say how do we how do we potentially adapt our sales process now that we've got people you know that WebMD example was great people who are probably feeling like they're a step or two already down the path of the sales process so. You know, and it sort of leads to the next question. I guess I'll unpack it a bit more for you. I think a challenge with solution selling is that it often requires the client to volunteer a lot of information up front. And typically it's it's the media salesperson setting that agenda and saying, look, time invested here will mean that I can really craft a tailored solution for you. And this is going to be, you know, time well spent. But I suppose if you have 
prospects or potential clients who have already given you a very tight brief and in their mind given you all the relevant information, there can be that tension there with, with them feeling like they don't want to invest more time to unpack the problem than they think they need to. And I guess it comes back to just tactically in that initial meeting, you know, how does a media salesperson effectively set that agenda with a client to ensure that they can gain buy-in for that sales process and step it through with the client and certainly, or I should say the prospect, and certainly make the prospect feel that it's a worthy investment in time and there's a benefit to providing, you know, deep information in that initial uncovery. Well, it's just benchmarking when you first open up the call because I believe that you can take a very advanced buyer that may be wanting to skip a lot of the detail and uncovering pain and challenges. The buyer will tell you how to sell them. And the buyer comes to the conversation with their own, and the prospect, sorry, the prospect comes to the conversation with their own criteria of how they're going to buy and how they're going to make a decision. Some of them are more advanced than others. Those that are more advanced sometimes have that uh, either a high driver personality or they're just very analytical. They're not as passive. They came prepared. And that needs to be honored. Otherwise, you will alienate and lose that prospect's trust if they're ready to move into a quote, a proposal, get into the tactics, the execution of it, and, and really jump through steps, they may be prepared and ready, and you might be able to align with that and win a sale. But there's the importance of understanding what kind of prospect you're dealing with. And so very early on, I love asking questions in the initial sales conversation of what research have you done to this point? Help me understand what you've done between identifying that there may be a way to do this better than how you're doing it today and where we are right now. So catch me up to speed. And when we ask questions and ask them to help us understand where where are we in the process, in your process, at what point are we coming into this conversation, that'll help give me context of where to guide you. And it's also asking questions of the last time that you partnered with a firm like ours and engaged with them. What what was that process like? What did you like about that process? What are you hoping for here? And so it's ways to just ask very clear questions of what their expectations are. There's an old process that's been revamped, I don't know, by dozens of sales trainers. And it's setting the agenda at the, at the beginning of the meeting, whatever acronym you use for it. And whoever sales trainer you follow that you love their acronym, that's fine. But the, the thing is you do a time check at the top of the meeting just to make sure you understand how much time you have together. Then you get into the agenda or expectations. I like to phrase it as, hey, when we booked this meeting, I'm under the impression that we were covering these three things today. What is your expectation for this meeting? What are you aiming to cover and what would be a great use of our time? I just want to make sure we're set up for success. And then after that, you're setting an expectation for what's going to happen at the end of the meeting. Okay, so my understanding is I want to make sure we cover A and B. Your high priority items are uh, X, Y, Z. Once we get through those, is it fair to say that you and I should be able to, and then fill in the blank of whatever the next step is going to be, bring in your executive to figure this out or to uh, set another meeting or to put together the paperwork or you know whatever the next step is. But if we can cover these five things in the next hour, would it be fair to say at the end of this meeting, we should be able to fill in the blank? So now we're setting expectations. With that, you will get a lot of what you need to know in the beginning when you're setting the agenda and asking what they've done to this point, what their expectations for the meeting are, when you can start to identify their personality and the research they've already done, and they may give you quite a bit. You may also hear 
this is the first conversation we've had on this topic. We're very early into identifying a solution. In fact, we may end up not going with the third party. We may continue to do this in-house. Okay, great. That's better to know than you're the eighth company that we've spoken to. We're actually deciding on this week, but I saw your email come through. It just happened to be really well-timed. And I thought, you know, they look interesting. We may as well have another conversation. Like, are you not going to treat those two conversations differently? But how would you even know to treat them differently if you didn't ask the question? I think it's a really good call out. And it's also interesting. One insight I'll share is that there's nothing that will position a media salesperson or a salesperson in general will position you well with a client or better with a client than being able to set a really tight agenda and to be able to finish a meeting and have the client or prospect feel like it was time well spent. Um, it's probably the single biggest way to ensure that you get invited back because people like to feel like they're being productive. Um, time pressures exist. So I really like that approach, Mary, of, of that expectation setting at the top and really making sure that you can unpack the broader context around where the client's currently at. Because I think in particular, you know, time is a currency at the moment that we all struggle with. I think and this might be reflective of the broader the broader sales industry, and I'd be interested to hear you reflect on this, but I think in my experience, you know, we're in a new media world. Um, we have media salespeople now that are being expected to sell across a much broader suite of products than ever before, where, you know, somebody who used to work in, say, radio, for example, used to sell solely radio that business has now transformed into them selling audio. So they might be selling social, they might be selling events, they might be selling streaming, podcasting, as well as the core business of radio. And I think that's reflective across a whole range of media. So with that context, I'm, I'm just curious about the role of solution selling with a complex or diverse product suite. Does a good solution selling framework support better commercialization of a broad product suite? And if so... Would just love to know if there are any pitfalls or challenges to be mindful of when embarking on a solution sales process and trying to commercialize a very broad suite of assets. I love the broad suite. And let me tell you specifically why. When I was selling payroll and HR services, it was at the perfect time for me to be starting my sales career because the industry was shifting. When I started, it was all about payroll processing, payroll processing. It was a software for payroll processing. By the time I left the company after my first five-year stint, it was payroll, applicant tracking, background checks, new hire onboarding, benefits administration, time tracking, HR compliance. Like You get the point. The suite had transformed into 10 to 15 different ancillaries that could be sold along with payroll. As a solution salesperson, I entered in at the time when the suite was expanding. And so when I started to learn how to sell, I started to learn with the full suite. So I sold circles around my peers. It was one of the reasons that I was a top rep. And when they asked me to facilitate at the million dollar sales training uh, class at our corporate office, one of the most attractive sessions that I was teaching was selling across the suite. And these reps were sitting in the room who had sold payroll processing only for the last 10, 15, 20 years. It's what they knew inside and out. So it was actually very uncomfortable for them to expand their knowledge and to cross train and to learn other 
modules and to learn the value behind them and the value statements behind them and how to demo them and how to build a case for why a prospect would want to buy those. And so those that took the leap of faith and said, I think this is where the industry is going. So it will behoove me to learn about these other areas so that I can be a true solutions consultant for my prospects. And those that dove in and said, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to do something different. Those are the reps just like me that had the highest average revenue per sale. We also had the sticky with the client because they were getting so much from us. It was a harder decision for that client to leave. So the churn was reduced. And then ultimately the results that we got were through the roof because they had that full suite. So tying this into media sales, I would say that if you have an opportunity, uh, you mentioned radio as an example. So we have a radio show on a local station here in Denver, and I have a, a media salesperson. And he, this station has historically sold radio for how long? Like for a very long time. But now they can sell not only just like promo spots on air, but they can also sell display advertising and retargeting. And they have so much more that they're doing on their website and they're attempting to augment the sell to sale to people that want to be on the radio. They're like, well, you know, we can also tie in the Google analytics so we can see like when your promo spot or when your show airs, if people then go to your website and then we can retarget those people and yada, yada, yada within, you know, a certain period of time. And so it's really neat to see them evolving because me as the person, as the prospect saying yes to having a show on radio, there's an expense to that, but there's a way that I've like, I'm buying radio, but if that salesperson can come to me and say, you're going to get maybe X amount in return off of just the show. But if you're also willing to invest in these other components, you're creating an experience for the listener that if they take that action and go to your website during this time when they're hearing it live, then we can trigger this retargeting campaign and whatnot. And then they're going to be retargeted and it's going to help you with your conversion. I think that that is a very strong message for me as the prospect, because you're going to make my dollars go further. So am I a fan of it? Very much a fan of it. And I do believe that if people can become more uh, well-versed in the the ancillaries, I would absolutely do it. Yeah. It's a really great, great example there. And I think in particular media, media organizations that understand the ancillary cell, when and how to, to sell that as an integrated solution. You know, I know that Certain media organizations around the world treat it almost like an aftermarket type of scenario. You know, you go buy a car and then you sit down with the aftermarket person who wants to sell you all the trim and the, the window tinting and the paint protection and <laughs> and the extras. Um, others try to try to maybe go to market and sell it all as an integrated an integrated package um, up front. It, it it is actually an interesting area and different regions around the world are doing it with limited limited success. I was actually uh, doing a webinar with a radio and TV group out of Colombo, Sri Lanka a few weeks ago that are looking to commercialize their digital assets. And they're early on the journey, but it is, it is a complex thing to do for people who have traditionally been conditioned to just selling a core product. And I think one of the, one of the probably to bring this, this topic to a close, Mary, you know, solution selling processes, are typically uh, quite time intensive. They do require more time and investment of energy, particularly at that pre-sales level. I think in the race for revenue in a short market uh, with constant budget pressures in every month that a media salesperson is in, I'm just curious to understand your your perspective on 
you know, does package selling, does offering a more transactional deal, does that still have a place, you know, and if so, what role could these types of sales tactics play in a broader solution selling strategy? I think they also have a place because it's dependent on how the prospect wants to buy. And I think if you have options for how the prospect can buy, you're going to increase the sales that you get. So not every prospect is going to be totally all in to the full package, full suite, but they may be into your core offering. And so to your point of buying the car and then sitting with finance and service and talking through additional packages and warranties and maintenance and whatnot, and the tinting and the clear bra and everything else. I just bought a car, so I know exactly how that conversation went. But ultimately, (laughs) it's the land and expand strategy. Some prospects, they may be amazing clients for you, but you can't put them in a position where they feel like they're being oversold. So here's a perfect example. I'm a prospect. I just bought a car and I also just bought radio all within the last four months. With the car, I knew what I wanted. I wanted the whole package. I also wanted like maintenance-free, worry-free. You know, I just wanted the whole deal. So I was probably the easiest sale while I was sitting there because I was a more educated buyer with cars because I hate to admit that I buy a new car like every two years. It's like some women like handbags. I like cars. So I buy a new car every two years. I know the process. I know what I want. I showed up. I said, here's how it's going to be. I was in and out of the dealership and with finance in record time. When I bought radio, guess what? I'm not as educated. And so this media salesperson is trying to sell me on this whole package with display and retargeting and all these other pieces. And I'm like, I don't think I really need that. You know, I'm into hearing the value prop, but I'm just not sure. So it was that salesperson's ability to meet me where I was and say, why don't we just start out with the radio? Let's see how it performs. And then within a few months, why don't we have another meeting? And then we can determine if there are other strategies that are going to help you achieve the results that you want. And that's the way I made my purchase decision. And now that person just texted me about two weeks ago and said, hey, it's been three months. We need to sit down and have that meeting. And so he's following through. And I am going to sit down with him and have that meeting. So this is a prospect here. I've just bought two separate things about them completely different. You as a media salesperson, you have to meet your prospect where they are and how they want to buy. And I think if you're agile enough and can go either direction, it's going to be very powerful for long-term sales growth. Wow, what a fantastic real-time case study to draw this one to a close. That's really interesting. I can't ask my sales manager that. We're in the final topic of the show, Mary, and this is one of my favorite areas because this is where we actually get to answer a listener question and and sort of brainstorm a solution for them in real time. Um, This gentleman's name's Arnold. He's a former digital media rep. He's now selling prestige, uh, a prestige title uh, in the trade space. So, Here's the question, and uh, we might just unpack and reflect on it and see if we can help him afterwards. Hi, Jamie. Uh, I sell a prestige print brand with a small but very concentrated and very high-value audience. Uh, Because we compete against various other titles with larger audiences, we rarely sell on audience reach alone. Uh, To combat this, we're told to be more solution-focused and deliver more tailored solutions. Um, I like our sales approach, the discovery meeting to identify a problem or need, uh, gaining the commitment to see a tailored solution, the pitch and the close. What I struggle with is understanding why certain deals aren't closing, especially ones where the client gives us good feedback and lets us know that we met every objective that we agreed to do. Uh, So why do clients get shy about booking a media plan 
when the budget, objectives and solution have all been agreed to. That's an interesting one for me, I have to say, Mary. I get these a lot. This one, the the immediate right answer or the missing link isn't isn't apparent to me just on reading that alone without maybe some more context from Arnold. But having, a, uh, I guess, a, a review of that, is there anything that you think might be at play here that might be causing his, uh, his close rate to be impacted? Okay, there's two areas here. I know it says in here that they are asking for feedback on why something doesn't close and they're just getting positive marks. I would challenge that because the deal didn't close. So number one is we could sit here for an hour and try to think of all the reasons why, but the prospect can tell you exactly why. And it's having the opportunity to go back and ask them that question, especially if they gave the verbal confirmation that the budget and solution were in line with what they were looking for. It's a simple put is to say, Mr. Prospect or Mrs. Prospect, I would love to hear your candid feedback. And trust me, you can't hurt my feelings. It's only going to allow me to be better. During our conversations, it appeared that you aligned with the budget and solution were exactly what you were looking for, but I understand that you're choosing to not move forward. Can you help me understand specifically why you made that decision? It will just help me and ultimately give me peace of mind. That and being candid in how we ask for why we're losing is bold and brave and it's scary, but nobody will answer this question. No sales trainer, no sales coach, nobody's going to answer this question better than the prospect themselves. And if they come back with an answer that doesn't seem genuine or feels a little fluffy or high level, it's taking it a step further. And to say, you know, uh, what's what do you think an example is that the prospect could come back and say when you ask him that question? I think it could be something as simple as saying uh, what you were talking about before, like, are you really doing solution selling? Or are you stepping me through a pre-built sales process that is just about getting me to arrive at the answers you want to hear to sell me a package that really isn't tailored to my needs. That that might be what I would suspect would be the feedback, if that makes sense, Mary. So, yeah. you know, you said it earlier on. Uh, are you just walking me through, you know, are you leading me down a path that's ultimately going to arrive at selling me the same, the same or fundamentally the same proposal that you could sell to any other client? Um, and therefore... I'm probably giving you the right market signal and the right kind of feedback because the questions and the the sales process is built in such a way that there's no alternative option for me. Well, and and I'm wondering if there was a lack of emotional connection in this. Mm. Okay. Example, quick example. One of our clients is a creative agency and they do branding and creative for the new home construction industry. And when I started the engagement in March, 2020, they had a very low close rate. And I asked why. And I said, are you getting feedback? And they said, oh, yeah, we ask for feedback every time on why we lose. And I said, great. What are they telling you? And the answers were so high level or vague, or they simply said they got ghosted on even getting the feedback. Well, when I stepped in to help them and our company, our, our team stepped in to help them on their on their path to scaling, one thing that we did is we started setting the expectation early in the process with the prospect that if we decide not to work together, one of the things that's just worth its weight in gold and helps us out tremendously is if you do choose another provider, which we understand, we only, you know, we only win about half of the time and, and we understand that industry standards, but if you could be candid with us on what of the process just didn't align with what you were looking for, it truly does help us make us better. So if we're having that conversation early, guess what happened? When we were losing deals, we could go back and say, hey, it's time for that conversation that we talked about. Obviously, you're moving forward with another provider. Do you feel comfortable sharing with us 
why we weren't chosen, why you made that decision. Trust us, you cannot hurt our feelings. Um, you know, we, we, we've loved this process with you. Trust you made a great decision. So help us understand. And the feedback that we got was tremendous. And what we started to do was identify a trend in the answers. And it was something that was a part of the four-step process. And we actually realized that the market was shifting the way that the prospect was buying and shifted, and they didn't like the first step of the process. And so we changed from a four-step process to three, and we merged those two processes. The close rate went through the roof. But if you're not willing to ask the questions and to identify that, then, you know, anywho, I read, the, I hear this example that you're sharing with me, and I my gut just has to go to, you're not getting the real answer. So you need to go back and have the conversation mm. and find out why. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, as a sales director who leads sales teams, there's often a disconnect between the amount of reporting and the amount of competitive intel and market intel and learnings that I require of my salespeople to report, you know, both on one and lost business. But it's so valuable, particularly when you can sit down and look at the trends and it, it has massive utility in governing our strategy, in looking at areas where our product's falling down and looking at areas where our processes aren't aligned to the market. So I think it's a really great suggestion, Mary, just to have that frank conversation and really and really try to extract where in the process maybe the prospect felt like they were boxed in and were maybe, I just, I really suspect here that, that there is the the solution selling process is almost a bit too systemized if that makes sense it's designed with questions in a way that can only be answered a particular way um, it doesn't feel like it has customization and can veer off into a different area based on the prospects needs or based on different stakeholders in their organization so look I could be wrong and I, I think Arnold um, who submitted the question thank you I, I, I do wonder if maybe the best next step here is if Arnold was to actually reach out to you or anyone in the listening audience was to reach out to you Mary um, to, to maybe learn a bit more about yourself house of revenue and and obviously see if Arnold can unpack this one with you a bit further um, should the audience want to get in touch, what might be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, Arnold, come find me. Let's talk through this. But anyone else, <laughs> find me on LinkedIn. My my last name is spelled uh, G-R-O-T-H-E, so Mary Grothy. Find me on there. Anybody inquiring about our scaling services through House of Revenue, it's houseofrevenue.com. As a salesperson, if you are looking for that sales coaching and training, we have at salesbq.com an entirely free sales training room. It's our quota crusher sales training. So you're welcome to create a free account and have a field day in there to your heart's content. So take advantage of that resource as well. And we actually, it's funny, I looked this up before the interview. We we have about 30 to 40 people who listen to the podcast every time we drop an episode who are based in Denver, Colorado. For those 30 or 40 people, um, I'd love to know what radio show they can hear you on or what radio station they can hear you on as well. <laughs> yes. And anyone can listen to it anywhere because they do live stream and they have an app, but it's 710KNUS and you can go to 710KNUS.com. So there's a Sunday morning, 8 a.m. mountain time. We go on on air, but then we take that recording and we drop it on our House of Revenue radio podcast as well, which you can find at houseofrevenue.com slash radio. Sensational. Well, Mary, I want to thank you for making the time uh, today. It was really insightful. And I think in particular, you called out before we started recording that, you know, you don't specifically come from a media sales background, but I think it's important 
to have people like yourself with a broad experience and a broad cross-section of industries to really unpack what best practice looks like and to maybe get us out of the media sales bubble. Would love to maybe round this out, uh, if you'll indulge us, if there was one key thought that you could leave the audience with on the topic of solution sales or redefining solution sales moving forward, uh, what would that be? Okay, permission to be redundant is your prospect will tell you how they want to buy. Do that. (laughs) Ask the question. Listen to them. I gave you two specific examples of two things I just purchased and I bought them wildly different. The process wasn't the same. If you can identify and find out what your prospect has learned and done to this point, why they're considering you, who else they're considering, how they're going to make their decision, the timeline for that, and the why behind it. They will give you the decision and the buying criteria if you ask them, but you have to be willing to ask them and engage in that conversation and understand why it's important. If you do that, you cannot fail. That is where your close rate is going to go through the roof. Mary Grothy, House of Revenue, thank you so much for your time today. We look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you. You've been listening to Media Sales Mastery the podcast for media sales professionals. Head to mediasalesmastery.com to help pick the topic, guide the show, and don't forget to subscribe to receive new episodes each week.